Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. And I'm Tori. We are Knee Deep in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 133, recorded on September the 24th, 2020. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. Gentlemen, it is Ignite. It is. Or rather has been. It's pretty much ended by now, right? That's that's true. This is going out on, on Monday, and that means, gentlemen, it was Ignite. <laughs> and I actually believe that Tony were right even at the time of recording, because I just received the uh, end of Ignite survey. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So <laughs> we could have called this episode, Simon, how many hours have you slept? But... We can ask you that question instead. Simon, how many hours have you slept? I think I quality sleep two hours since Monday or so. <laughs> now, in all fairness, I think I have slept like 14 hours since Sunday. And uh, this morning I started off at 4 a.m. doing three straight sessions as an expert at uh, three different Ignite sessions. So it's uh, I'm currently m- navigating between painting walls, tearing down a roof, being an expert, and eating cookies. And you really see your, your career moving towards the cookies, I suppose. Can you make a career out of eating cookies? Because I would sign up for that. Well, you are the unofficial cookie monster. <laughs> unofficial? Damn it, Simon. <laughs> yeah. So But that that's what I've I've been doing. Yeah, you've been you've been very, very active. I've I've not been active this year. We both spoke at Ignite last year, and that was absolutely fantastic. Uh, but this year I I sent in a few few um things, but I wasn't picked and I I didn't get picked as an as an expert either. But eh, it's it's at the same time, it is a huge event, and I think it's going to be more people attending Ignite than last year. But at the same time, the number of um, people involved as, as speakers and experts is lower. So, well, it's different. I'll yeah. tell you that. And and I don't know how how much of the numbers and so on that are actually official or not under NDA. So I won't comment on any numbers at all. But as as you say, some some numbers are lower than expected. Some numbers are higher than expected. But it's definitely a different kind of conference. I'm pretty sure, actually, that those numbers will most likely be published uh, the coming days. They they always do. Oh, I'm I'm sure they're going to be published. The question is, how sure can you be of the numbers? What what designates um, an attendant? Attendance. Did they just log in, look for two seconds? Did that count? So that's why data quality is is difficult, to say the least, in, in one of these things. And I also think that you kind of hit the, the, the nail on the head again uh, with this is different. Is it better or is it worse? I think that is asking the wrong questions. This is different. Would I prefer to be in, in person? Oh, heck yes. Do I see some 
definite benefits from getting the the on-demand stuff sure so i think we're going to be able to talk about this for for years yeah should we start by our experience of the conference the, the little we have been experiencing it and then talk about the news yeah let's do that so what's your your take on it guys so, so i would say that it's very well organized like it, it's complete madness in the back end but everything works out everyone is really dedicated and everyone does their utmost to make it make it a great event i find the platform to be good and i really like these ask the expert sessions uh, because t- take the um, session the last one i did now with the windows virtual desktop we were say 15 people answering questions and we had way over 100 questions in 30 minutes. And that kind of interaction is really, really hard to get at a physical event. So I think that combination could be quite interesting for upcoming physical events. Imagine if you would do a session on stage and people were able to ask questions in a chat app and a number of other SMEs could simultaneously, while doing the session, answer those questions. And then the speakers on stage could take a selected questions and answer them in the end. So I think the, the interaction has actually been rather good. But like we have said, I don't know how many times, it's not the same. And I do so miss being at Ignite. I, I didn't think I would actually miss it this much, but... I do miss it. I do miss the people. I do miss the the craziness going on and everything in between sessions and, and just the feeling. Because this is, to me, and I'm sorry to say it, and I may be bumped from the MVP program for this, this is just another conference. Yeah, I, I can wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, for me, it was pretty difficult actually to try to focus on checking out some breakout sessions and uh, following the live stream. I mean, it's definitely not the same thing as the physical one where you are, you know, 100% focused on the things you actually attend. So doing this, you know, the virtual thing and digital thing and, you know, you have like 30,000 browser windows open trying to follow different stuff. So you get easily distracted, or at least I did. Uh, And yeah, it was was hard to focus, uh, was the thing I brought with me after uh, finishing. Um, and yeah, I I, I agree again, uh, you know, missing the whole, you know, travel thing uh, with you guys going over the, to the States, you know, and actually uh, being on site, attending this, meeting old friends and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I, I'm really just looking forward to the next, next time this is actually a physical event. So what you're you're pretty much saying is the same uh, issues that I've had with online events since the dawn of time. This whole being um, split, you can't focus on one thing because there's always going to be something tugging at your your uh, conscience, if you will, and that is not happening if you're there because you're there, you're physically there, and you're in a room and you're doing one thing. So in that case, focusing is easier. And then, as Simon said, the whole meeting people. Uh, this is has this has been really hard for me. This 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 ignite because 
Ignite and larger conferences past summit before that has always been this thing that I was looking forward to and really getting energy from. I, I was always dead tired when I came home, but I was filled with very positive energy. And having those memories and seeing Ignite as a pale shell of what it can be, I know in my mind what what it could have been. That was much harder for me to um, to to handle than I thought. So it's it's a bittersweet experience. And I mean the 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 um, the news that we we're going to be talking about in a bit. They were phenomenal. There's so many interesting things, but it just still leaves a very sour taste in my mouth. And as as Simon said, people have been working their collective asses off to pull this off. And holy cow, the the production was phenomenal. But it's not the same. And I, I would add two things. First one, like you said, there are some amazing announcements, but it's how they are announced that really differs. We are not sitting there at a session, watching it, hearing and seeing the excitement of the team. So it's still the same news and it's great and amazing news, but it's how they are delivered that takes a bit of a digest out of it. And the second thing, and this is on a very personal note, and, and feel free to say if I'm completely wrong, but I feel that in some ways, when I've been at Ignite, that's been a, like a, an opportunity for me to be Simon, the IT pro. Really make being me on a completely new level, since I can only be in my work role and do everything there. So to me, this is a bit of me that I possibly can't be at all without Ignite. Yeah, but uh, let's not forget, guys, we we have actually booked the happy hour for this weekend with our US friends, so that should be fun, uh, something I'm looking forward to very much. Absolutely. Definitely. Just need to select the beer. <laughs> all right, so shall we dive into the actual news and it's not that we've not gotten any news quite the opposite i mean i I could talk for hours about the stuff that's come out for power bi and uh for the sake of you guys i can go last this time (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i can i can actually agree with that because uh, you know while listening to the live stream and uh, different sessions power bi kept coming up constantly in every session pretty much so uh yeah i'm expecting a lot from you this time around yeah but but would you like to start tony what's what's been your highlights well uh, my highlights was easily uh, the new windows admin center 2009 as it's supposed to be called so you can't call it 2009 no 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 it's 2009 <laughs> So lots lots of news there. Uh, Jeff Woolsey, always a fun guy to listen to. Uh, he's always so excited about the Admin Center uh, development and the new features and new functionality. So uh, always fun to listen to that guy. Uh, highly recommend you go check out his sessions afterwards. I believe they are being made available right now, pretty much. So the new Admin Center, finally here. Uh, also, actually, uh, I believe they announced that the Windows Admin Center will be available in the Azure portal as well. 
So if you have Azure VMs or you have network connectivity to on-premises network, you can actually use the admin centers uh, directly in the Azure portal. Uh, I haven't got the details yet. I logged into the portal just to see if I could find it, but it wasn't available for me at least, so I believe it might be some preview thing that I haven't activated as of now. Uh, but however, I'm very much looking forward to that uh, in whatever shape or form it will uh, come out. But yeah, so having, having that directly in the portal seems like a smart solution. And it will be automatically updated always to the latest version and things like that. So you don't have to care about, you know, maintaining it yourself. So very cool stuff there. Uh, also, PowerShell 7 uh, has been, I suppose, officially announced or something. It was, I believe, available earlier in the summer. I think we had it on the show even before. Uh, but yeah, lots of new features there. Uh, always great fun to see Jeffrey Snower, you know, the the daddy of PowerShell, actually come online and do a session. Uh, they're always entertaining and fun and f f filled with information. So PowerShell 7, I think the highlights there this time around was pretty much the uh, compatibility with, you know, Mac OS, Linux, uh, and pretty much every platform you can think of. So PowerShell 7 is available on all those. And they actually did like a... Uh, live demo thing where uh, Snower was using Windows and his uh, colleague was using a Mac, Mac, Mac computer. And they were comparing, you know, commandlets and uh, uh, what Windows can do and what Mac can do and if there's any differences and things like that. So that was uh, very entertaining, very informative. Uh, again, I recommend you go watch that session afterwards. It is available already now. And probably finally, just to sum up uh, the Windows Terminal. Uh, wow, the development on that has gone through the roof pretty much. It's it's looking amazing. Uh, they were using that to demo the PowerShell 7 stuff as well. But you can use it for so much more and, you, you know, multiple tabs, uh, multi-window. Uh, it looks amazing. Uh, I can't wait to install that on pretty much all the machines that I ever log on to. Um, so I suppose that's it from me at this time. I might get back to you next week or something, but yeah, that's, that's the one I had the key focus on this week. So would you say that Jeffrey Snower is posh spice? <laughs> I, I can't even deal with you right now. <laughs> Alexander, Google spice goals and you will understand. <laughs> Young man. Yeah, I thought that you were too old to notice by that time. Moving on. Yeah, so so I'm actually, since I looked up a few of the things you, you mentioned, Tony, Admin Center in the Azure portal is just amazing. So could could any one of you tell me when should I use Azure Arc and when should I use Windows Admin Center? Is it correct to say that Admin Center is for managing the services running inside of the VMs and Azure Arc being managing the infrastructure and the servers as such? Uh, I think there is a correlation there. Uh, so Admin Center for everything running inside the OS pretty much. You know, you can do... Um, performance measuring, uh, install roles, uninstall roles, configure stuff. 
uh, pretty much everything in regards to that. You can also connect to Azure, of course, to Azure services uh, very easily using Windows Admin Center. So Arc, I suppose, is more for the infrastructure part of things, as far as I know. And th this is interesting because Arc tends to come up in our discussions and none of us is really into Arc. I think we need to find someone who knows all the aspects of Arc and have a frank discussion because I'm I'm really keen to get a grasp on the, the components and how they they work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the my new details actually. Uh, what what does it actually do and what does it uh, what is it capable of? So uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree because I remember Arc being like the major thing at last year's Ignite, pretty much. Um, like everyone got really excited when uh, they spoke about it, but since then I haven't really heard much. There's there's been a lot of talk about Arc, especially Arc from from the data perspective, and it is slowly taking over the world, if you will. So I'm we definitely yeah. need to find someone. Absolutely, and I, I've read up on a couple of the other Azure news, and one thing I really enjoyed were that you can now use. Azure hybrid benefits for your Red Hat and SUSE licenses. That's quite interesting. So if you have purchased SUSE or Red Hat licenses on-prem, you can now, by migrating to Azure, leverage those for the same in the same way as hybrid benefits for Windows Server. Is my is how I interpret the news item. Cool. And a bunch of other really cool things. But we will have um it's only like 400 news in the book of news so we'll have a couple of episodes to walk them through you mean the book of ignite is it ignite 2020 book of news is the url at least okay yeah i saw that it was a humongous <laughs> article yeah let's start with microsoft endpoint manager one thing that it's was really cool is the microsoft tunnel so tony of course, is is a huge fan of direct access, always on VPN and such, and have been working quite a lot with that. Microsoft Tunnel is the equivalent of always on VPN, but for iOS and Android. So it's a first-party VPN solution for iOS and Android integrated with Microsoft Intune. So for your iOS and Android devices that requires connectivity to your on-prem resources, there you have Microsoft Tunnel. So that's quite interesting and really enable some additional scenarios where you have on-prem server-side applications, I would say, uh, that you connect to with a mobile app, which you can't publish using Azure AD application proxy. We also, and this will be interesting since I will be speaking at the Jamf event next week, as will my friend Brad. Uh, they, but to... Um, during Ignite, Microsoft announced that they can now provide, and I quote, a first-class management experience on the Mac OS. So they have added a number of capabilities to deploy scripts, new enrollment experiences, app lifecycle management and such to Mac OS. So it will be really interesting to hear what they have collaborated with Jamfon. Uh, during next week, since my session at JNUC is about the partnership between Jamf and Microsoft. So uh, we'll see how off I am <laughs> after the news has been released, but uh, that's really cool. We also will be getting Microsoft Edge on Linux and with some new security capabilities. Uh, 
And and this is quite interesting as well. We have talked about um, Windows 10 on ARM for quite a while. Microsoft is now extending Windows App Azure to apps running on ARM64. So if you have a native app that runs on Win32 today and you move that to an ARM-based Windows device, Microsoft will help you to get that app to run on the ARM platform without extra cost. Very nice. And speaking yeah. of your uh, personal friend Brad Anderson, um, <laughs> I actually, <laughs> I actually did watch the live stream of uh, Brad and uh, Panos uh, having a discussion, uh, like between two friends, pretty much. Uh, they uh, talked about this uh, new Edge uh, functionality, and uh, I think Brad got you know like a challenge from Panos to mention three three most important uh, or you know great features of the new edge browser and one one of them was actually pretty interesting which i didn't know and that was the search feature so when you type in something uh, in the browser's search window it will actually uh, will of course do a internet search but it will also do a intranet search at the same time so it will search both company data and internet for the thing that you're searching for so that seemed pretty cool to me. And also, of course, it's a very welcome thing that it is being made available to Linux users as well um, from now on moving forward. Yeah, and since they are rolling out the mobile application management or app protection policies to Edge, even on the desktop platforms, that could prove quite interesting um, for Linux as well, since you will be able to do some data protection and IP protection even on Linux, which is challenging today. Uh, before I hand over to Alexander, I would just also like to mention some of the Windows Virtual Desktop news. So it's now officially supported to manage your Windows Virtual Desktop VMs with Microsoft Intune for single user devices that have been possible previously. I've done that for quite a while, but it hasn't been supported, but now it is. They're also adding a number of um, features for MSIX app attach natively in the Azure portal uh, coming up in the following months, as well as some new manageability tools and automation tools to uh, ease the management of your WVD hosts. Let's see if I forgot about something before I'll hand over. It, it's about dragging out as long as possible so that Alex will be required to talk really fast. Um, new integrations with Azure Monitor, and I'm done. You keep forgetting that I'm I'm doing the mixing, and if this turns out to be a forty minute episode, <laughs> that is on me. <laughs> yeah, you just you will just take away my ten minutes and add yours. Pretty much, yeah. No, uh, I'm actually going to be. So if no, sorry. So if no one hears what I'm currently saying, that's due to Alexander editing me away. I couldn't possibly comment. And I'm I'm actually going to be fairly short and succinct. Because I could talk about the technical aspects of this for literally days, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to walk you through some interesting tidbits and then talk about the the, the huge change that, that came out. So for starters, when you're working with a report, a lot of the time you have to infer the the context. Maybe the report author has created a, a screenshot or, or put in a, a text field or something, but something called smart narratives is 
a feature where creators can add narratives to their reports to address, for instance, key takeaways, uh, point out things, and so on and so forth. That That's been released in a preview, and I'm very excited to see that because it's, it's not a technical thing per se, it's more of a, a consumer thing. And I, I think it's going to be a bit of a, a game changer, if you will. And then also on the topic of actually using the data, Power BI is going to play much nicer with Teams because you're going to have a, a Teams um, add-in or, or app or whatever it's called to view your reports inside of, of Teams in a much better fashion than you've been able to do previously. And that is something that I'm definitely looking forward to. One thing that I am not looking forward to, though, is the uh, potential issues with licensing when it comes to embedding stuff. Uh, but more about that in, in an upcoming episode. Likewise, the world's most dangerous piece of software, i.e. Excel, is, as I think you already know, it's, it's possible to analyze Power BI data in Excel. And this has also been updated and released in general availability. And if you were to set uh, sensitivity labels, for instance, inside of, uh, inside of Power BI, then Excel will pick them up as, as well. So Excel is a great add-on suddenly for, for Power BI. So, wait, 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 wait. So if you set labels in Power BI, how is that picked up by Excel? Why would you open something that you made in Power BI in Excel? Huh. Wouldn't you open up the data set? That's a very good question. And you, you just answered your own question because what happens is Excel is connecting to the data set inside of Power BI as if it was a data ah. source. Yes, exactly. And some, some people are more uh, used to working with Excel. And there's some things that you still can't do or is much easier to do in, in Excel than in Power BI. So this is a great add-on, if you will. It's, it's not something that takes away from Power BI, but suddenly you have your, your semantic model inside of Power BI and you can use that as the single pane of truth. Another thing that I only have heard of very little about before it was unveiled is a new visual way to do uh, queries. So when you're you're wrangling data inside of Power BI, that's the, the realm of Power Query. But Power Query, it, it takes some getting used to. And especially if you don't have any coding background, it's, it's I wouldn't say that it's difficult, but it's another way of, of looking at things. But with the visual coding help, if you will, you get um, recommendations for every step. If you want to merge two, two data sets, you just write merge and it's going to give you, oh, I think you are trying to merge. Perhaps you want to merge this one and this one using this key and so on and so forth. So it is going to give you yet another stepping stone into learning how to really do data wrangling with, with Power Query. Extremely interesting and extremely powerful. It only works in the service right now. It's a preview for the data flows, but according to... Um, to the, um, the information that we got when this was released, it is going to come to the, the desktop as well, um, but nobody knows when, perhaps next year. 
that kind of brings me to, well, no, I, I want to talk about the deployment pipeline. That's now generally available as well. The pipelines mean that you can approach report and dataset design as you would any any project, really. So you have the testing pipeline, you have the or you have the development pipeline, you have the testing pipeline, and you have the production pipeline, and you can push your, your reports and your datasets through them using normal DevOps stuff. But the problem is a lot of these amazing things inside of Power BI require the holy grail or the unicorn or the unachievable Power BI premium. The expensive. The extremely expensive Power BI premium. It's it's always been a thorn in the side of small and medium businesses. It it sucks, but it has been outside the realm of of your financial strength. It's it's easy as that. And I mean we have stuff like the XMLA endpoint, which sounds weird, but it means that you can hook into your Power BI stuff using a gazillion of third-party tools. And suddenly you can work with your data set and your data model just as if it was another software project. And that has huge implications. You have all the AI stuff. Nope, that's premium only. And you have um, large data sets. Nope, that's premium only and so on and so forth. I can go on a lot about what you get with premium and it's expensive. And I, I totally get that you want something, you pay for it. But premium per user is coming. This is so big. I, I said on Twitter the other day that we, we kind of bandied the word game changer all around a lot, but this is a game changer because suddenly it's now possible for companies to buy premium per user. And the, the only issue with premium per user is that we have no idea what it's going to be costing. Hopefully it'll not break the bank. I mean, it, it needs to be cheaper, but how cheap? We don't know. And we don't really know when this will be available either because it's, it's not in, even in, in a, a preview yet. Microsoft has committed to doing this, and that is going to completely redraw the landscape for what you can do with a, a personal license for a, um, a tool like this. So premium per user is, is going to change everything going forward. Because remind us, how what's the cost and where would you say that it makes sense for premium today? Premium is $5,000 no, $5, per month for a P1. And a P1 comes with a few caveats. People still think that you can load a P1 up till the gills and it's just going to work, but that's not the case. And that's another interesting thing. Power BI Premium Gen 2 is also uh, being teased. And that is 16 times the performance of a Whoa. Power BI Premium. And then really lifts a lot of the the um, implementation blockers. But to answer your question, you have a break-even around 550 Power BI Pro licenses if you're just looking at a price tag. And I've seen small companies, like companies with, with 30 people, they, they are still spending the bucks for Power BI Premium because they need the, um, the, the thing that Premium offers them. But for the most part, Premium is the realm of the truly enterprise customers. 
I know that, that my yeah. American uh, friends do not agree, but I'm sorry that's the case here in Europe. So, so it would be expected that it would end up being around a couple of, let's say, a couple of hundred dollars per user in a year. Would it be that expensive? I have no idea. Because there, there must be it, it's it's built on services. It must have a like a lim- startup cost somehow, if they don't share it across somehow. We'll see. That's that's all that I can say. And I'm 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 super curious to hear a price point, uh, because I think that's yeah. going to make or break this. Um, but I'm I'm hopeful. Yeah, the architecture will be interesting for sure. Oh yes, we could definitely talk about the architecture for probably. I, uh, premium gen 2 because that one is seriously cool and you're gonna like it so we'll, we'll do that in in the next in in, a, in an upcoming episode i should say and i think that's pretty much what we have time for today yeah but i think we have content for a couple of more episodes so i guess we will be back at some point oh most definitely usually it's always like this after every ignite so you know you have the immediate news and then you have some time to you know recap and think about stuff you heard and you know check back on a few sessions you might have missed and things like that so yeah we'll definitely have more in the upcoming episodes what he said okay and on that i don't know what to call it it's time to end the show thank you for listening to knee deep in tech If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needeventech.com. We'll be back next week. And meanwhile, take care. Bye. Bye. Bye now. Damn it, Simon.